In our study of Luke's gospel, Jesus is literally on the heaven road. He has set his face toward Jerusalem and is preparing himself and his disciples for what awaits him there. It's not going to be an easy road, and he knows it. In fact, he will have to experience death and a resurrection before he can ascend back into heaven. Last week, we witnessed his encounter with three individuals who thought they wanted to join him on that road. But rather than joyously welcome them, he warned them about the hardships they would have to face and the sacrifices they would have to make if they would be his disciples. Indeed, the demands of discipleship are very real. And Jesus wants us to know what we're getting into before we commit ourselves to following him. Because if we put our hand to the plow and look back, he said we are not fit for the kingdom of God. We aren't told how the three responded to what Jesus had to say. We don't know if they accepted or rejected the call to discipleship. But in our text for today, we do find 70 others who did accept the call and knowingly went out like lambs in the midst of wolves. We're in the 10th chapter of Luke's Gospel, verses 1 through 9. Now after this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them two and two ahead of him into every city and place where he himself was going to come. And he was saying to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your ways. Behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no shoes, and greet no one on the way. And whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a man of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And stay in that house, eating and drinking what they give you. For the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not keep moving from house to house. And whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat what is set before you. And heal those in it who are sick. And say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. Now, you may have noticed the similarity between this assignment and the one Jesus had previously given to the twelve. They had been sent out on a brief training mission and told to proclaim the kingdom of God. And they, too, had been given power to miraculously confirm the message by healing the sick. Here, Jesus sent out 70 or 72, as advanced men to get people ready for his visit. And I say 70 or 72 because some manuscripts have 70 and some 72. Most believe the number 70 is correct. And that Jesus intentionally chose 70 to indicate a desire to reach all nations, since 70 nations are listed in the table of nations found in Genesis 10. 
Others obviously look for differing symbolism, and some follow the alternative reading of 72 based on the Septuagint. I just throw that out in case you've seen the conflict there between your NIV and my New American Standard. But either way, Jesus sent out a large number of disciples because the harvest required a lot of laborers. And his statement, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest, is often used as a rallying cry for evangelism today. I'm not sure, however, that that is really appropriate. A harvest brings something to a close. And this harvest was bringing the Old Testament period to a close. The New Testament period won't be brought to a close until Jesus returns. And according to the parable of the tares among the wheat, the harvest won't come until the end of the age. And the reapers will be angels, not us. I'm not sure it's so much our job to bring in the sheaves as it is to sow the seed. And while that is a big responsibility, it's not as intimidating as thinking it's our responsibility to reap results. Now, the commission we've actually been given is found in Matthew 28. 19 and 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Our job is to sow the seed, to teach, to baptize, to make disciples, to make people ready for the harvest. We've been sent into the world with a message from God. And even though the message is good news, the world seldom sees it as such. In fact, we, like the 70, have been sent out as lambs in the midst of wolves. And there's a good chance they'll eat us alive. But our assignment is to go. And to do what we can to make people ready for the coming of the Lord. And the way Jesus told the 70 to go, as he had also told the 12 to prepare for their mission, tells us of the urgency of the assignment. When he said they were to take no purse, no bag, no shoes, and to greet no one on the way, he was telling them to go without delay. They were to go as they were, without elaborate preparations or excessive provisions. They were to just go. In fact, the tense Jesus used when telling us to go in the Great Commission wasn't so much a command to go as it was a statement that we would be going. And as we were going, wherever we might be going, we were to teach, baptize, and make disciples. We've been given a message to share. And if someone welcomes us, we are to share the message with them. If they house us and feed us, we are to be grateful for their hospitality. But we must not be shocked if they reject us. 
After all, we are being sent out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Let's read on. But whatever city you enter, and they do not receive you, go out into its streets and say, even the dust of your city which clings to our feet, we wipe off in protest against you. Yet be sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I say to you, it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. Woe to you, Shorism. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You'll be brought down to Hades. The one who listens to you listens to me. And the one who rejects you rejects me. And he who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. The possibility of rejection is very real. And Jesus makes it clear. Some will not receive us or our message with open arms. You know, that is something that young Christians and young ministers need to keep in mind. And while most won't actually turn on us like wolves, most will not receive us. And to refuse to accept is to reject. An entire village in Samaria had just refused to show hospitality to Christ. And the 70 were to expect whole cities to reject them. And while Jesus had made it clear to the sons of thunder that he hadn't come to destroy but to save, the 70 were to make it clear to the cities that rejected them that the kingdom of God had come near. And to come near to the kingdom of God is to miss it. Just as Jews would shake the dust off their feet when leaving pagan territories to keep from polluting their homeland, so the 70 were to shake the dust off their feet when leaving cities that would not receive them as a testimony against them. They would make it clear that by rejecting them, they were condemning themselves. They were remaining outside the city of God. And to reject God's messengers and his message brings God's judgment. It did for Sodom. Sodom, as we know, was a pit of sin and perversion. And it was destroyed because of it. But Jesus said it would actually be more tolerable for Sodom in the day of judgment than it would be for more respectable cities that rejected his messengers. Judgment against Chorazim and Bethsaida would be harsher than that against the pagan ports of Tyre and Sidon because they had witnessed the miracles that confirmed Christ's message but still refused to repent. And even Capernaum, the city Jesus called home during his Galilean ministry, wouldn't be exalted to heaven for its connection with Jesus the way they failed to receive him would bring it to a Christless grave. Jesus made it pretty clear 
the cities that were given the opportunity to know and understand God's will, but refused to be changed by it, would be judged more harshly than wicked pagan cities that weren't given the same opportunity for repentance. Now what that says about degrees of punishment and reward, I'm not sure. But apparently, the severity of judgment is linked to the opportunity for repentance. And that should be enough to get our attention. For we have obviously been given great opportunities for repentance. We know the truth. We've heard the message. And to listen to the message, to respond to it, is to listen to Christ. To refuse to respond to that message, however, is to reject the message. And to reject the message is to reject Christ and the one who sent him. There's a double warning here. Disciples who faithfully sow the seed should expect considerable rejection. And those who hear but refuse to act should expect a harsh judgment. So what happened when the 70 went out? Let's take a look at the results. And the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I've given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall injure you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. The 70 returned excited because even demons were subject to them, and that surprised them. When the 12 were sent out, they were specifically given power and authority over all the demons in addition to the power to heal diseases. There's no mention of Jesus telling the 70 they would have power over evil spirits. They were simply told to heal those who were sick. Apparently, however, as they were healing in the name of Jesus, those who were actually possessed by evil spirits were set free. And that really excited them because they didn't know they had such power. Jesus' response to their excitement is a bit obscure. I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Now, was he simply saying that he was able to perceive the spiritual results of their ministry? That he could see Satan lose power and authority over the world as a result of the proclamation of the gospel? Perhaps. And it is certainly true that Satan's power was to be broken by Christ's coming. It was prophesied in Genesis when God told the serpent that the seed of woman would one day crush his head. Of course, it was also told that he would bruise Christ on the heel, a veiled reference to the crucifixion. But Revelation 12 makes it clear that Christ's resurrection and ascension back to heaven resulted in Satan being thrown out of heaven. Maybe Jesus was seeing signs 
of his anticipated victory over Satan in what the 70 reported. And his statement that he had given them authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions was a reference to their being able to share in his victory over evil. And that Satan could not defeat them spiritually. I'm pretty sure it wasn't a license to handle snakes in worship. If we're faithful in following Christ, our victory over the forces of evil is guaranteed. But this may not be the primary point Jesus was making when addressing the 70. He went on to say, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. And this may very well be a warning to the disciples against spiritual pride. When he said he was watching Satan fall, it may have been an allusion to what originally happened to Satan and what caused him to fall in the first place. And Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28 do seem to indicate that Satan was an anointed cherub who fell from his exalted position because of spiritual pride. Perhaps this is a warning not to rejoice over the spiritual power and authority given to us, but to rejoice over the simple fact that our names are recorded in heaven, that we've been made acceptable in God's sight. Our reason for rejoicing is quite simply salvation, that we have been assured a place in the kingdom of God, and that we have been given the privilege to know and to share what Christ has revealed Through his son. Let's look again at that privilege. Verses 21 through 24. And at that very time, he rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou didst hide these things from the wise and intelligent and didst reveal them to babes. Yes, Father, for thus it was well pleasing in thy sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. And turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I say to you that many prophets and kings wished to see the things which you see, and did not see them, and hear things which you hear. And did not hear them. Surprisingly, this is the only time it's recorded that Jesus actually rejoiced. And he did so greatly in the Holy Spirit. He was overwhelmed spiritually, he was praising God for allowing the 70 to be used, for enabling them to know the truth and share it, for enabling them to make known the mysteries of God, which are hidden from those who think themselves wise and intelligent. Indeed, absolute truth 
comes only from the Heavenly Father through the Son. And he makes that truth known to babes, to those who recognize their limitations and turn to the Father through him. Jesus then privately told the twelve that they were privileged to see and hear things that prophets and kings longed to see and hear. And they, in turn, have shared them with us through the testimony of Holy Scripture. We now have the truth. And it's our job to share it with others. We've been commissioned by Christ to teach, baptize, and make disciples. Let's express our trust in Him through our obedience, even in the midst of wolves. And let's invite others to join with us as together we trust and obey. Thank you.